0: That was incredible, and I got in trouble this week for watching that video before Father's Day, but I would not be able to preach after that because dad jokes are my absolute favorite, so that was amazing. Uh, Before we get into it (laughs) today, real quickly, I just want to say happy Father's Day. You know, for for different people, that could be an exciting day, perhaps it's a difficult day for you for various reasons, but I do want to take a moment and just recognize Uh, The fathers in the room in our culture today kind of downplays men and fatherhood, and we could all agree, statistics uh, bear this out, that one of the most important things that societies need is good men and good fathers. And uh, I know a lot of you who are here today that our fathers are not perfect, don't have it all together, but you love your wife if you're married, you love your kids, and we have a lot of good dads in the room. So if you're a father, would you just stand up for a second today? Here we go. And just give them a hand for what they do. So thank you, guys. <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, there's nothing quite like being unprepared for something, especially when you know it's happening, but you maybe it happens sooner than you think. So you know, I've shared before how uh, last semester, senior year of college, I had an exam at 8 AM, but I thought it was at 11 AM. And so about 930 in the morning, I realized, oh, I'm missing my exam. And so that was like not good. Am I gonna fail? Uh, there's also times, you know, when Christina goes out of town, particularly when she goes out of town and the kids are with me. And if you know, you know, Christina and I, she's maybe just a little bit cleaner than I am, just a little bit. And so, you know, I keep the house manageable, and then my plan is always right before she gets home to clean up the whole house so that she believes it'll always look like that, right? And so there are times where she comes home uh, before I thought she would, and she finds out that maybe I am not quite as clean as she is, right? Or maybe today is Father's Day, and you might have forgotten Right, You know Father, this day is coming, but you forgot, and so maybe after today you have to uh, go buy a card or go buy a tool. Uh, by the way, I would love for someone to buy me a tool, as <laughs> Timothy said. Or, go ahead, buy me a tool. I, I, that would be great, right? Being unprepared. Now, uh, today, I, I share that because we are continuing our, our time walking through the book of First Thessalonians, uh, and the Apostle Paul is going to talk about uh, the timing of when Jesus returns and what we need to do to be prepared for it so that we are not taken by surprise. And so if you have a Bible, uh, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. If not, there's a Bible around you, you can read along with us. And if you do not own a Bible, you can take one home it is our gift to you. If you have been with us, First Thessalonians, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, which is in modern-day Greece, about 50 AD, so less than 20 years or so after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Really, one of the main themes and thrusts of this book is encouraging believers to live out their faith that our faith is not something we simply intellectually believe or know to be true, but it impacts us in how we live. We could all get behind that. And then Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4 gives a very practical example. He talks about sex and sexuality and honoring one another with our bodies. And then last week and this week, he's now turning his attention to the return of Jesus. Uh, There was some sort of problem or anxiety or confusion with the Thessalonian believers. Uh, Last week, we saw they were uh, somehow concerned about believers who had died, right? If they would partake in Jesus's return? Would they miss out on that, or would they be able to be able to be part of the kingdom of God? And Paul wrote them and encouraged them and reminded them that all of us, dead or alive, at the return of Jesus, will all partake in the glory of God. Somehow, some way, in a way that you know, fully in our certain comprehension of things, we can't fully wrap our heads around. But when Christ returns, everybody will experience the God's presence together. And now he's going to talk about when that's going to happen. And so this will be fun. Let's do this. 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Here's what he says. He says, about the times and the seasons. This is referring to when Jesus will return. Brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So again, this is a letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, Likely after Paul and a couple of his friends planted the churches in Thessalonica, uh, he sent Timothy back. Timothy has since returned to Paul and probably brought Paul a list of questions that the Thessalonians had. Clearly one of them is something about the fact of, when is Jesus going to return, likely from a place of anxiety and worry? Again, believers had died had passed away. They weren't sure what was going to happen. And so I think it's just interesting that just like today, over what 2,000-ish years later, uh, they also always were questioning and wondering when Jesus would return and when the world would end. Right? This is not a natural or a new phenomenon. It, I should say it is a natural phenomenon that all throughout human history, people have wondered when Jesus is coming back. They've often thought he's coming back in their lifetime, or they thought the world was going to end. Again, not even 20 years after Jesus has gone, they're asking these questions already. When is he going to return? And here's what he says that uh, he will return like a thief in the night. And so here's what I want to do. I want to lay out my cards on the table for you, and then we're going to see what Paul and Jesus says about the return of Jesus. And so, again, this is a hot topic today, really. I think historically it always has been, but with social media, you know, COVID, election stuff, it's maybe the last couple of years kind of of talked about more. When is Jesus going to return? So I just want to give you, this is my opinion here, a couple of reasons why I, don't think Jesus is going to return in the immediate future, or, or maybe put it another way, within our lifetime. Or if he is, I don't think we have any reason to know that's going to happen. And then we're going to see what Jesus when Paul says about it. But I just want to lay this out here because I hear this often. Let me give you three reasons why I don't think Jesus is going to return in our lifetime. Or if he does, we have no reason to know that. Number one, that everyone in human history has always assumed that when they have predicted when Jesus is going to return, it was going to be within their lifetime. In other words, humanity is batting 0%. And so when people say it's going to be soon, I have no reason to believe you because people have always thought it was going to be soon. And as a side note, I always think it's funny, like the numerologists or the people who try to study these things and try to predict, like they never say, uh, Jesus is going to return in 117 years. Why am I doing this British accent? I don't know why I'm doing the <laughs> British accent. It's sound smarter, right? They always say he's going to return now, like within their lifetime. Like at least if they predicted like 117 years from now, like, okay, like it's not about like fame or like getting on the news. It's like, okay, you like... You're probably wrong, but at least it's like not, it's always now. Why is it always now? I don't know, but people are 0%. And so when someone tells me it's going to be soon, your track record isn't strong. Uh, Second reason, um, understandably, as humans, we are always most uh, kind of caught up in thinking about our immediate environment. And so uh, so when it comes to, let's say, the United States of America, um, in generalities here, America is a very prosperous nation. Uh, it's very safe, again, generally speaking. Uh, there's a lot of pr- uh, uh, opportunity here. It may not be equal for everyone, but there's a lot. Compared to other places in the world, like America, I'm, I'm very glad to, be, to live in America and have the rights and the privileges to be here. Uh, that being said, you know, again, with the last couple of years, the social media kind of heightens this even more with the election stuff, with COVID, all these things. Uh, people kind of assume that because things are getting more uncomfortable in America, that that f- therefore must mean that Jesus is going to return soon. And we forget that there's always been difficulties all over the world. And just because now it's maybe hitting a little bit closer to home, it doesn't mean that America is like the defining moment of what Jesus' return is going to be. Like he's not waiting for like this imaginary man-made, you know, human markers of the United States of America when there's a certain president or certain things happen. He's like, okay, now it's time to go. Right, God is about the universe. He's about the entire world. He loves all of us equally. And so just because things might be feeling rocky in America, that doesn't mean that Jesus is going to return just because of American politics and things that are going on. Uh, and then lastly, I would say this, and Again, there's lots of debates and disagreements about what's going to happen to precede the return of Jesus. But some people would say that things are going to get more difficult in the world, and that's going to, you know, precede like Jesus coming. Um, And maybe that's true. And so we look again. I think online and social media heightens this even more because we see everything. It seems like things are getting worse. But in actuality, things are actually objectively getting better in the world. So for example, even with the most amount of human population ever in human history, we have the least amount of people, percentage of people in poverty. We have the least percentage amount of people in the world who do not have access to clean water. In human history, we have the least percentage of the amount of people in the world who do not have access to food. Now again, there's devastating poverty and restricted access to food and water. But generally speaking, things are actually better than they have ever And so if we're going to say he's coming back because things are bad, well, I don't know about that. But then finally, let's see what Paul says. Here's what Paul says. Now, when Paul says here in verse 1, I do not need to write anything to you. The reason he says that is because he's quoting Jesus from Matthew 24. Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about his return. And we'll just read a couple of verses here. It'll be on the screen. And verses 36 through 39, uh, Jesus is talking about when he is going to return again. And here's what he says. It'll be on the screen. Now, concerning that day, an hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. So what he is saying there is that Jesus somehow, some way, when he was on earth, did not know when he was going to return. Verse thirty seven, as the days of Noah were, So, the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This will be the way the coming of the Son of Man would be. So, people were living their life, doing their things. There's a lot of evil in the world, kind of assuming we're going to be good, we can do whatever we want. They had no idea what was going to happen. And so, what Paul is saying, echoing what Jesus is saying, is this that no one knows when Jesus. Will return, like nobody knows. Like Paul says he doesn't know. Jesus says he doesn't know. And I'm not knocking people are trying to like, but we do not. No, and so we try, when we try to like make these predictions of what's happening here and here's all the signs, we just have to be honest that we don't really know what we're talking about. Like it might sound cool, but what we don't actually know, like it makes me think of uh, when I was a kid, my younger brother, uh, he's five years younger than me. And so when he was about one, I was about six, and you know, that's the time where he's like starts like babbling and trying to make noises, And, and I had a bunch of friends in my neighborhood, and I would tell them, I know what my brother is saying because he's my brother. And he and I would like translate, making it up. And then I would say things back to him. I had no idea what I was saying, right? But it sounded great. And so I just did it. Or and I don't know why. I don't I don't remember the context, but I can still remember to this day a couple years later, my friends were playing in the backyard, and I don't know why this came up, but I told them that I could hear hear Satan and so I would like, I would get on the ground, like on the grass and put my ear down. I guess Satan lives in the middle of the earth. I don't know. And I would be like, oh, here's what they're talking about. Here's what they're going to do next. And they were like, believe me, why? Why? Like who? But like, I just, it sounded great and I sounded with authority, right? And so I just, and they, this is what it makes me think like we do not know. And here's the thing. Even if we did, our mandate, if you are a follower of Christ, does not change. We are to love God and love people. And regardless of when Christ returns, that is what he's asking us to do. And in fact, this is what Paul is going to encourage us to do. He continues by saying this in verse 3 of First Thessalonians chapter 5. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So here's the thing. When it talks about uh, this idea of fevery or this idea of pregnancy, uh, it's saying, like, we do not know. Even if you're pregnant, even today, with all the technological advances, like, you know you're going to give birth, but you don't know exactly when the labor pains are coming. You know they're coming, but you do not know when. And so just like the return of Christ, it will be unexpected. That's what, Paul, that's what Jesus is saying. And so when Paul is talking about peace and security, he's talking about here unbelievers who are going about their lives, going to be completely surprised that the king has returned, right? And, just, and so they're going to be surprised by the judgment of Christ, by his glory, by him calling people to himself, by him judging those who have gone their own way. They will be surprised. But in contrast, believers, verse 4, he says this, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark. For this day to surprise you like a thief. Therefore, the Thessalonian believers and all believers by contrast are among those who will experience the opposite of those who claim peace and security when Christ returns. In other words, to those who are followers of Christ, it will not be Christ-like or thief-like in its effects. In other words, when a thief steals something, it's not good for you, right? But when Christ returns, if you are in Christ because of Christ's grace and redemption and blood spilled on our behalf, we don't have to be afraid, we don't, have to be aff- we don't have to run in fear that actually this is good news for us, that we get to experience the full blessings of God's grace and his forgiveness, and so in verse five he says, in light of this, verse five he says this, "For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night." Again, put another way, children of God, those who are followers of uh, Christ, do not have to fear God's judgment. Why? Because we know God, we've been redeemed by God, we have been uh, saved by God, and so we don't have to be like those people who are never sleeping and always watch. Or in other words, when he says, like, don't sleep and always be in watch, he's not literally saying, like, again, you might see this, like, some of these bloggers and stuff who are, like, counting down the times. He's, he's not saying do that. What he is saying is that while we should live in a way that when Christ returns, while it might, might surprise us intellectually, because we do not know, it, we won't have wished that we had lived differently. Right? It's not gonna, he's encouraging us not to be like, oh, Christ has returned, or I've died, and I m- meet Jesus if that happens before Christ returned and say, well, I wish I had done these things. I wish I had been more loving and gracious and generous. Not that you are perfect, but he's saying when Christ returns, it's not going to be thief-like, and, although it might be thief-like intellectually, let's not live with, with a bunch of regret, wishing that we had lived differently if only we had known Christ was about to return. So when he talks about sleep here, he's talking about moral and spiritual falling away, people who are doing their own thing. Again, what we should do instead, echoing what Jesus says in Matthew 24, uh, it'll be on the screen again, verses 45 through 46 a little bit later. Here's what we should do. Here's how we should prepare for Christ's return. It says this, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant ...whom the master finds doing his job when he comes... In other words, you know, especially in those days, if a master or the owner of a house were to leave and go on a journey, you would have to have someone who took over the estate, cared for everything. It would be a highly trustworthy position. Now you know that the master is going to return at some point, but again, there's no texting, there's no email, there's no phone call, so you don't exactly know when. And so, what is a good servant going to do? They're going to be faithful, so that whenever the master returns, they're not trying to clean the house up really quickly. They're not trying like they're just they're good because they've been faithful with what has been giving them right because again there's nothing quite like being caught but right? have you ever been caught for it's like think about when you're a kid have you ever been caught you know, in the middle of something that you shouldn't have been doing, and then found out, right? And it's like, well, you shouldn't have been doing that. And maybe, you know, if you had more time, you could have cleaned up the mess. You could have hit it better, but you didn't. Like I think of when I was a kid. I was probably about two years old. Uh, granted, I didn't know that this was a wrong thing to do, but it's still really funny. Uh, when I was a, again about two, my brother was maybe like four, and I don't, I don't remember this other than just being told uh, that there was a. I, apparently, one of us got the idea that we should color, smother my, me in peanut butter, and I, but I couldn't reach the peanut butter, so my brother got on the cabinet, gets the peanut butter down. My mom, somewhere else, notices that we had been very quiet for a long amount of time, and then she took this picture when she walks into the kitchen. Right, well, that was me. Now, again, I don't actually remember this other than this picture, but I was caught at the wrong place doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, right? And Paul's encouragement, Jesus' encouragement, is to not be like that way. In other words, you can put it this way, that we should be more concerned about our faithfulness than God's timing. That's what's going on here. Instead of trying to figure things out and trying to count the days and trying to, we should be more concerned about whether we're being faithful to the God who's loved us and redeemed us than trying to mathematically to figure out like when he's actually going to return. Because that's what God is asking us to, to love Him, to love people, and not try to figure it out when He's actually going to come. If you um, are a part of New City, if you've been to our partnership lunch, we actually talk about, you know, the the end times and kind of our stance on it. So if you haven't, here's what it is. If you have, here's a refresher for you. It'll be on the screen. Here's what we say at New City. That faithful Christians differ on the time and manner in which Christ will return. New City Church would prefer to be on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. And so, regardless of when and how Jesus returns, our mandate as followers of Christ is unchanged. We are to live faithfully with the hope and prayer that God would allow us to bring as many people into a saving relationship with Him until He returns. That's what He's asking us to do. And so, again, if we're trying to think about, if we're anxious or we're we're interested about when Christ is going to return, maybe, maybe I would present the question to you this way. right? If you knew... Jesus were returning in six months. What would you do differently? Like, let's just say you knew. He appeared in your dream, a vision, whatever, and you knew that Jesus was going to return within six months. How would you live, and what would you do differently? And to whatever you might answer to that question, the question that I would say is, why not do that anyway? Why not do that anyway? Why, Why does knowing Jesus is going to return his exact date change any of that? Now, To be fair, if you knew for sure, there might be some things you do. Like you might sell your house, you might quit your job, but I would ask why. You might say to be more generous, to spend time with people I care about, uh, to to love people. It's okay. Well, maybe you can't quit your job and sell your house, but what would it look like to be generous and to carve out time in your days and weeks and months to love people, to forgive people, to be grace-filled? Why don't we do those things anyway? That, I think, is the better question. If you knew he was returning, what would you do differently? And why not do those things anyway? I think that's what Paul is urging these Thessalonicans who are anxious about this to continue to be faithful and to love people. That's what Jesus is telling the people, his followers, that whenever this is going to be happening, don't be so concerned on the time, but live as if he has already returned. Because in some ways, although the full consummation hasn't happened, the fact that we are part of his kingdom, uh, the fact that he has already resurrected, that we are we are in the beginning stages of welcoming him, and so let's live that out now. Let's live out the principles of the kingdom now and not just wait for him to return. That's what Paul is getting at. That's what Jesus is getting at. In fact, I think it would be helpful. Like, I, I don't know, this is purely my assumption and my guess on these uh, things, but I think us knowing, like, let's say they actually, like, I don't think that would help us because we would get so fixated on, on this end, this specific time, instead of doing what God has simply asked us to do, regardless of when he will come, to, come back. And so if we continue reading verse 8, again, Paul's going to continue to talk about this. He says this, chapter 5, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, so followers of Christ, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Jesus, Jesus, who has appointed us to himself, whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are dead or alive, when Christ returns, guess what? The good news is that we are already part of his kingdom. And it's not because we acted a certain way or did a lot of good things, but what does he say? That God gave himself up for us, that salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we honor God. We love people not to get something from God, but in response to the good news of what he has done for us. That in spite of you and I, in spite of our going our own way, our sin and our shame, what did he do? He sent Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to give us victory over sin, evil, death, and darkness by being our substitute in our place, so that we can be a part of His kingdom. That we don't have to be afraid. Like, how awesome is it that we do not have to be afraid that when Christ is going to return? I'll answer that question. It's awesome. I'll answer it for you. I don't have to wait for you, right? It is awesome that you do not have to be afraid about the judgment and wrath of God, and it's not because of you; it's because of Him. I mean, this is good news that God loves you and that he cares for you, and that he created you, that no matter what you have done, where you have been, or what has been done to you, you are all, all of us are welcome at the seat of the foot of the cross. All of us are welcome into God's kingdom, not because of us, but because of him. And so we live out the transformation that we have received from, great, from, from Jesus through the power of his spirit to love God and love others, so that as many people as possible can also take part in this Kingdom, You see, Jesus made it possible for us to live with God. Not us. Jesus did. And so the whole of 1 Thessalonians is to encourage us to live in a way that displays that this is true that we didn't earn it, that it was given to it, given to it by grace, and so we love and give other people grace. In fact, I think like talking about the return of Jesus goes hand in hand with Paul's theme of 1 Thessalonians. To love God, to love people that our live, our physical lives, not just our intellectual beliefs and what we type online about who God is, but how we live demonstrates that we believe this is true. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. And so let's live in a way that we don't have to live in fear, that we have been given grace and mercy. And so we live and give other people grace and mercy and respond of what in response of what Christ has done for us. And so in light of all of that, here's what he says, verse 11, the last verse we'll read this morning. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. So, listen, I know that you're, he's saying, I know that you're anxious about those who have already died. I know you're anxious about when Christ will return. But here's the thing. That is not what matters. What matters is loving God, loving people, and knowing with the full assurance that you, if you are in Christ, will take part in God's kingdom, right? In light of being faithful to Jesus and not knowing when he will return, here's what we should do. We should love God and love people until Jesus returns, whether he returns or we die first. Spoiler alert, I think we'll probably die first. But it doesn't matter. We are to love God and love people. So really to to package this in another way, here's what I think Paul would tell us, uh, especially when it comes to when when is Jesus going to return. Here's what he would say. If you want to be ready, be faithful. If you want to be ready, for the return of Jesus, whenever that will be, then you and I ought to be faithful, not out of obligation, not because we have to or else God's gonna get mad at us, but simply that so when he returns, we don't have to be surprised. We don't have to be upset. We don't have to be dismayed that we wish we had told other people about his love and grace and we wish we had been more forgiving and we wish we had been more honest and apologized when we had fallen short. What he's saying here is live in a way that if you wanna be ready for Christ's return, simply be faithful in response of the faithfulness that God has been to you. If you want to be ready, be faithful. Now, let me just give us a very practical way to do this. And I don't want to guilt or or make anyone feel guilty to do this, but I know it's summer and a lot of people are out of town. But a great way to be faithful is to join us on Saturday, serving with the Raleigh Dream Center here in Raleigh. It's only a couple hours long. You can bring your kids. My kids are going to be there, right? This is a very practical and easy way to be faithful, to serve food, the people that we've been donating food to, to love people, to pray for people where they are. It's a great practical way to be faithful. So let me just ask you if you're a follower of Jesus, what do you think readiness looks like for you? Right? And hear me. This is not a you need to fast, pray, and read your Bible all day and quit your job and go live in a monastery. I don't think anybody, I don't think we should do that. I don't think what he's asking us to do. But in your regular day to day lives, what does it look like to love the people in your co working space, your classmates, over Zoom calls, in your neighborhoods, to love those people? Well, what does it look like not just to talk about forgiveness, but to actually do it even when it's hard? Uh, what does it look like to give grace to those who are, have offended you in as, as the same way that Christ has given grace to you? And listen, if you are not a follower of Jesus, here, here's, here's the great news about this. Being ready does not mean checking off a list. It doesn't mean don't say this, say this, don't do this, do this. It means simply accepting the grace and mercy that God has given to you. Not because you figured it all out, Because God is good and he has redeemed us and he has purchased us and he has brought us and he has invited us into his family. So the first way to be faithful is to accept the grace and mercy of God. That's how we be faithful. And then we have practices and rhythms in our lives that remind us of God's goodness, that we ask the Holy Spirit to convict us, uh, to uh, strengthen us, to encourage us, to love God and love people the way Christ has loved us. And we simply love people where we are. If you wanna be ready, be faithful, accept the grace and mercy of God, and live out what it looks like to love God and love people where he has you today. That is what Paul would tell us. It's not about when Jesus is going to return, but it's simply about our faithfulness, and are we ready, and are we loving people here today? And we'll trust God for whether we die or he comes, whatever comes first, we will trust God with that as we are faithful where he has placed us.